My name is Annie. I am a Covenant member here at the WOW, and I am part of the East Breaker CG. We're all sitting in that corner there, and I also serve on the welcome team. Today, I'll be reading from Psalm 23, the Lord my shepherd, and I'll be reading in Vietnamese. Đức Jehovah là đấng chăn giữ tôi, tôi sẽ chẳng thiếu thốn gì. Ngài khiến tôi ăn nghỉ nơi đồng cỏ xanh tươi, dẫn tôi đến mé nước bình tĩnh. Ngài bổ lại linh hồn tôi, dẫn tôi vào các lối công bình vì cớ danh Ngài. Dù khi tôi đi trong trũng bóng chết, tôi sẽ chẳng sợ tai họa nào vì Chúa ở cùng tôi, cây trượng và cây gậy của Chúa an ủi tôi. Chú dọn bàn cho tôi trước mặt kẻ thù nghịch. Chú sức dầu cho đầu tôi, chén tôi đầy tràn. Quả thật, chọn đời tôi, phước hạnh và sự thương xót sẽ theo tôi. Tôi sẽ ở trong nhà Đức Jehovah cho đến lâu dài. This is the word of the Lord. this. You saved me embarrassment, so I appreciate that. Uh, I've once seen a pastor walk up on stage, try to fix the podium, and it ripped right off, and then he lost five minutes of the sermon, and we got a lot to cover today, so thank you, friend. Uh, Hey, good to be back with you all. Uh, Man, uh, once again, just the beauty of diversity, as we hear the scripture read in a different language, and the desire for more of it, the celebration of what God is doing, and the reminder that our shepherd is the shepherd of the nations, I love the fact that we're getting that each week in this series. And so, Annie, thank you, friend, for reading that for us. And, I mean, I just love this church so much. I, uh, I, I often, like, cry uh, thanking the Lord for allowing me to be uh, in the body. And so I'm just really grateful to be able to be here today and um, just to worship God together. God is moving in our midst in some really beautiful ways. And so excited to continue to seek him together. Y'all ready? Good, good. We got a lot to dive in, a lot to cover today. So we are in week three looking at God as our shepherd and really asking him to heal us. What does it mean to receive healing from God? And what does it mean to be revealed the goodness of God that we will be able to walk in the favor of God and the calling of God, really to slow down and just process God together. And this is one of those weeks where when I first looked at this passage, I really didn't see a whole lot in here, to be very honest. In fact, commentators, they commented the least amount out of this section, out of all the sections that we're covering. And so I thought it would be like a 20-minute sermon. <laughs> Y'all know your boy, though. Like how somebody laughed out loud. They LOL'd for real. Uh, honestly, for real, when I spent more time in it, the more in-depth I saw, the more beauty I saw. And this often happens in God's Word Because we see every section of scripture is inspired by God. Jesus confirmed this when he upheld the entire Old Testament. And the New Testament does not usurp anything that the Old Testament said. It only confirms it. And so we can trust that this is truly from God. And if this is from God, then it produces beauty and life and breath and relief or conviction or joy. It makes us come alive. It recovers and it redeems who we are and who we are meant to be. We preaching already, y'all. Come on. 
The word of God is good. The Bible, it's often like a flower bed. That's kind of how I think of the scriptures often. And if you treat the Bible the way that I treat my literal flower bed at my house, okay, and I spend no time on it, and I just kind of hope that the natural rain will bring about life, a few flowers will indeed unfold. Now, the mugs may be weeds, but they purple. So I call them flowers, all right? And uh, if we just allow Sundays, right, the, the rain that falls and the sun that shines on Sundays, what we, happens when we gather together to be the blossoming and the flowering of our soul, we will indeed produce some flowers, but it's not enough for it to really sustain true life. But the more we nurture, the more we spend time, the more we cultivate in our heart, then the more beauty will illuminate and you will taste the fullness of God and you will see the goodness of God unfold in your life in beautiful ways. You see, this passage this week, which I thought was just a transitory passage to next week, ended up being so much more that I had to condense the sermon three times because there's so much in the word of God. The Bible, it blossoms as you cultivate it. And a lot of times we don't find the healing that we need, family of God, because we are not blossoming the Bible in our life. And so we need to realize the beauty of it. Sid, another way, y'all, there's fruit on every branch. There's fruit in every section of scripture. Every sentence in the word of God brings life. Sometimes we just gotta climb it to enjoy it. And so let us not grow weary of climbing. Let us climb the word of God and consume of its beautiful fruit, amen? And so this week we're tackling the second half of verse three. It's a very, very simple passage. It'll be there on the screen. But it just says this. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The title of the sermon is Our Guide and Glory. You see, Jesus, as our shepherd, he guides us, and glory should be given to him. And our glory, which each of us desires, is actually found in him. Now, next week, we'll traverse into the valley of the shadow of death and understand suffering a little bit more. But before we get there, we have to realize that Jesus is our guide, And if he guides us by the still waters, which is himself, as Adam mentioned last week, then we have to realize that it is also him that is guiding us through the valley, ultimately for his glory and for our good, as this passage even highlights today. Said another way, the theology about Christ as our guide, this is necessary for us to understand this if we are to endure when death encloses in all around us. You see, David knew who God was, which is why he was able to entrust this God when the shadows came. Now, I want you to remember something about this psalm that I think is really important. It actually begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. And so remember, I confessed back in week one, only being able to see God as king or as a lord or as ruler or as master. And I have a suspicion that a lot of us actually view God this way for even the name God necessitates somebody who's outside of us. And the Lord then becomes this distant being rather than a close being. And he becomes the Lord only rather than the Lord and our friend. He becomes our supervisor rather than our shepherd. But David, in this song, he switches from the more distant king or ruler, as he does mention in a lot of psalms. 
Or he switches from the more impersonal rock or strong tower, which he mentions in multiple Psalms as well, and he switches to this analogy of somebody who lives close with the flock. Your God delights in dwelling with you, family. This is worthy of worship, amen? That your God desires to be close to you. He is dwelling with you, intimate, living with you. God dwells amongst us. He isn't just a king off in the distance that is making decisions, though this is true. And he's not just in the wings who we hide behind for our fortress and our protection, though this is also true. But he's also the God dwelling with us. And this text actually re-highlights that for us today. You see, it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. That word leads there is a very important word because there's multiple words that David could have used to understand the idea of lead, but this word is often translated in the Old Testament as a guide, someone who is with you, kind of like a tour guide. You know, the tour guide knows where he or she is going and they walk with you and they explain things as they are with you. That is how our God is leading us, David says. In fact, when God leads the Israelites through the desert as a pillar of, 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 of fire by the night and as a cloud to protect them from the heat over the day, this word that the Bible uses is the same word here as leading. He was leading them, not just showing them the way to go, but was also with them. He's not just in the distance yelling out commands, your God dwells amongst you. This is good news. He does not yell commands from a distance. He speaks inside of you even, in your heart. This is how close he is, family of God. Meaning, whatever victory you had this year, your God is celebrating that with you. He's not just the GM that receives the ring but didn't really do anything in the process. He was the team captain and the coach and the GM. He was with you the whole time. And he's celebrating with us in our victories. And whatever losses you have incurred, your God is present. In fact, our God knows loss. He was willing to lose his life to be the present sufferer to show you that your God tenderly cares. He is your shepherd dwelling amongst you. As God is healing us, I think about God's presence with us, which his presence is what often creates healing. And I think about a couple of stories, even from the past couple of weeks in our gathering. In fact, in the first week where we looked at God as our shepherd, we had Mai come up and read in Japanese. And it was really beautiful because as she was coming up, she said she was overwhelmed with the singing of God's people and the reminder of how good God was and how beautiful it was to be amongst him in and amongst the people. And as she was doing that, she actually began to stumble over her words. And that kind of looked like, oh man, I wish I didn't mess up. But in irony, God was using that because there was a brother who was worshiping with us for the first time ever who was Japanese and at first was overwhelmed by hearing the scripture in his language but as she stumbled that reminded him to pull out his phone and to record it and to send it to his dad who still lives in Japan and it was just showing God with us amen I love that. Then later in the second gathering, we had our dear sister and, and friend and a great shepherd over us, Judy, Anthony's wife, who actually lost her father that same week. And so she was in the gathering in really a suffering state in a lot of ways. And during the second set of worship, she started hearing these tongues 
And as she was realizing what was going on, she began to look around and realize there was nobody speaking in tongues amongst her, and there was nobody that was saying anything different from the stage, and yet she heard these tongues that she said sounded like the tongues of angels. Well, then last week, after the gathering, a a dear sister and and friend came over to Anthony and Judy and began to say some things that she saw that she felt like was a word from God for them in their life. And she said to Judy, oh, by the way, last week, I saw all of these angels around you singing. I don't know what that means. And all of a sudden, Judy realized our God is not just a God that is in a distance. He's with you, family. Do you hear that truth, that our God wants to come and comfort and to dwell with? Your God is not just a God in the distance, he's with. And he moves in these beautiful ways. And and listen, whether it is naturally like another language or supernaturally like the language of angels, our God is dwelling with us. I love this idea. Listen, you may feel weary because he may feel distant. And I've been in those seasons as well, but I want to encourage you not to grow weary of climbing that tree to find that fruit because your shepherd is not far off, Acts 17 tells us. In fact, he's with us. He is near amongst us. Now, I know the temptation because you can hear some of those stories and go, well, wait a minute, why isn't God doing that for me? And he may be, and as Adam even said last week, sometimes we need to wait on him and to be patient and to dwell with God. But listen, David was not foreign to wondering where God was. And so I want you to know that that desire to experience nearness with God is not an unholy desire. It is a righteous desire. You should desire that sort of intimacy with your God. We should desire to be close. In fact, this is the exact same man who in the previous psalm, in Psalm chapter 22, just one psalm before this, begins this psalm by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. There are multiple psalms where David says things like this, but at the end of David's hard and his long life, as he pens this psalm that we all love so much, David is able to say, my God is shepherding me, my God is leading me, and sometimes I may feel his arms and I feel his nearness and I rejoice in those moments and sometimes I don't even see him and I wonder where he is. And yet, even in those seasons, I have learned, David is saying here, I have realized that my God is with me. He is just out before me, clearing the way in the woods or removing all of the animals that would destroy my life. So though he feels distant, he is leading nonetheless. Your God is leading, family of God. Your God is leading amongst you to find the new grass to eat. You can trust him. That's what David's plea to us here. Beloved family of God, do you hear that? You can trust him. You can trust your God. In fact, in this verse and in last week's verse, they both mention how God is leading us. I want to make it very clear, a lot of the reasons why some of us do not experience God as our shepherd is because we do not allow God to be our leader. Let me say that again. A lot of the reason that some of us do not experience God as our shepherd is because we do not allow God to be our leader. 
We do not allow him to lead, and so we end up trying to lead ourselves. So then, of course, there's no water to quench the the thirst of our souls. There's no leaning towards righteousness, towards a greater Christ-likeness, because we do not know how to lead ourselves into becoming like Christ, for we are not messiahs. We are not Jesus's. We are not Christ. And so we are slow to allow God to be the leader in this relationship. Can we just keep it 100 here? Some of us, we do not experience healing because we do not submit to God's leadership. And so listen, sometimes we are in a tough season, and we'll get to that next week, and our God does lead us in that. I want to start us with that to allow that to be the reality that, man, sometimes God is leading us through the valley of death, but he is with us, and we need to remember that. But sometimes our lack of healing is because we seek to heal ourselves, which 95% of the time ends us in sin. We seek no counsel from God. We seek no counsel from God's word. We seek no counsel from God's people. Too many of us want God the slave instead of God the leader. The God who does whatever we tell him, whenever we tell him, to do whatever we tell him rather than trusting him as our shepherd. Listen, I do this family of God, okay? I'm not just like laying out empty conviction like boof, 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 right? Like I ain't doing that, all right? Like, I do this as well, very, very much so. I do not seek his face, and then I wonder why I'm in the quicksand rather than by the still waters. I wonder why I'm munching on the dirt rather than the green grass that he has prepared for me. He leads his sheep. He cares intimately about his sheep. He died for his sheep. And if he's willing to do this, then why would he lead his sheep off of a cliff? Our God will not do that. And yet sometimes that's exactly where we're headed because we lead ourselves. But God is a good leader who we can trust, amen? God is a good leader who we can trust. Now, I know at times, once again, this may be confusing, and and we'll touch on this next week, but we have to know he's an intimate shepherd who rightly leads his sheep. Now, where is he leading us towards? Well, David here says he's leading us in paths of righteousness. God's leadership over our lives leads us to not physically want, with the grass we see last week, to not spiritually want, he restores my soul, and here to not morally want as well. Sit in the positive, God's shepherding leads towards beautiful morality that produces the fruit of joy in our life. He leads us to sanctification. He leads us to righteousness. In fact, one of the ways that you can tell that you are submitting to God as your shepherd and as your leader is that it's producing more and more righteousness in your life, that over time you begin to imitate and look like and sound like and smell like your shepherd more and more. You feel me? This is one of the things that God is doing. You may say once again, well, what about the valley that I'm in? How is God leading me here? And I want to keep kind of planting the seeds for next week as well, because aren't there times where God is leading you, where it feels like you may be on a journey towards destruction, but it ends up being for your joyous deliverance instead? Aren't there times where he's leading you, where he's actually leading you towards righteousness, deliverance from sin, or towards a more Christ-like example in your heart, or towards maturity for a later calling in your life that you do not see today, and yet he's guiding you that you might be used by God? 
This is how God is often leading. I know that that is true in my own life as well. When I try to lead myself, I end up in sin. When God leads me, I end up in righteousness, in Christ-likeness. I think about back at a really simple time when I had just entered into college. I was a freshman in college, and I went to Bowling Green to play football, and I was already salty about it because I should have been going to Michigan, but I got hurt my senior year. Now look, I know some of y'all think I'm capping, but I'll smoke all y'all still in my mid-30s. Somebody said, ooh, I'm just, I'm just kidding, he's my boy, all right? But look, no, I went over to go play college football, and I got hurt three practices in, okay? So I never actually played, and I was really salty about it, to be honest. And so then uh, there was one morning where uh, our head coach changed for the second time since being there, and I was like, man, I'm about to go back and walk on the team, and I'm about to just show that I'm that guy still. And to be real with you, that's how I was feeling, which I know sounds arrogant. It's because I was arrogant, okay? And so literally, I was walking with my cleats, 5.30 in the morning, going towards the stadium, and I heard God very clearly say to me, hey, you're done playing football. And I was like, you're done playing football. (laughs) I was salty, right? And so I kind of stopped, and I was like, man, was that the Lord or was that me? And I feel like I heard it very clearly. Hey, this is not what I have for you. And I was like, God, I'm going to be in the league. What you talking about? Right? And in a lot of real ways, that's all I knew at the time. Because growing up in the inner city, you kind of only had two or three ways out. And that was going to be my option out. And so I got irritated at God. And I like threw my cleats on the ground. And I was like, man, you're always taking this stuff from me. <laughs> and I ended up walking back. All right? And I walked back to my dorm room. And it was early. And I was mad. And I was frustrated at God. But then I got involved in this church. And in this church, they started discipling me because all the arrogance you just heard me speak with, that's who I was. And all of a sudden, they began to disciple me in all of this character development and into a greater Christ-likeness. I had never been discipled before. You see, the church that I grew up in was very showy, so they knew how to preach, and that's about it. And so I was developing this ability to communicate and yet not to actually live in Christ-likeness, which shipwrecks 90% of pastors today. And so God, in guiding me, was guiding me towards something that felt like he was removing all identity from my life, but instead producing a greater Christ-like identity in me. God is often doing this to us, family. He leads us, he guides us into paths of righteousness. And if I had chose to reject that, I may have gone, and man, the well would probably still exist. It just wouldn't be me leading it today. But praise be to God for my own soul that I get the opportunity to do this as God is guiding in the midst of all of this. And this is true in silly examples or life examples like that. This is true in tougher examples, like when we went through our miscarriage or growing up and when I faced the physical or emotional or sexual abuse in my life, though it felt so hard in the middle of it, I look at it today and I realize that God was leading me that I might help lead others to the still waters. Your God is close. You have to believe this, family of God, that he guides you. He has not left you or forsaken you. Though he may feel far at some times, I promise you, he has not left you. He has not left you, and the gospel tells us this. And so God leads us towards righteousness, and he is with us in the process. And your God is likely using these situations to work righteousness in you so that you may then help work righteousness in others. Don't miss that, y'all. Did you hear that? This is good news. It means your suffering is not wasted. It means that it's redeemed as well. God is leading towards righteousness. 
God is a lot like our Google Maps in a lot of ways. To give a little easier analogy on the heart, that's what I think of with God often, where you're trying to drive and you're trying to do your own thing and it's like, turn right here. And you don't listen to it because you're like, I know what I'm doing. And then you realize that 183 is shut down and you gotta go, that happened to me today. I was literally late today. I was like, I know what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I'm way over by Runberg. Like I'm, I'm late, that's why I was late. Sorry, Kendall, okay? And so God is like our Google Maps. And I thought about that literally in our trip to Denver last week. My wife and I were in Denver and we were doing uh, Ruben's wedding and Ruben and Alexis, that's right, they just got married, Ruben. That's good news, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were out there and they decided to have it in this beautiful mountainous Breckenridge and, and said it blizzarded on the day of their wedding. So you got these two black dudes out there in a blizzard, all right? But anyway, we're driving, okay, and because Natalie and I aren't used to that area, we had Google Maps on all the time. And I just want to say, I don't think there's an area in my marriage where I'm quicker to annoyance than driving, <laughs> right? Like, and it isn't Natalie, by the way, it's my unrighteousness, okay? And so we'll be in a place where neither of us have ever been before or we haven't been that often, and she'll be like, oh, oh, oh I think you were supposed to turn down that street. And I'll be like, Man, we need to go to marriage counseling, right? No, I need Jesus, okay? Listen, and a lot of us treat God like that. Do we not? Be careful with your annoyance at God's guiding in your life when he's leading you through places that you have never been before. You see, often God is leading us in situations we've never been in and then we act like we have and so we get annoyed at God when God is trying to lead us towards righteousness towards Christ's likeness. God is a good guide and we can listen and when we guide ourselves, we usually end up in the wrong paths in unrighteousness and this sin is part of what creates a lack of health. And so yes, some of us need healing because 2020 through chaos from the outside, that is true, but a lot of us on the inside, we were lacking God's leadership as well and we allowed sin to creep in and that sin became our guide and we listened to the voice of another rather than the voice of our God. You see, it's interesting, even this word path here that David uses, the word path isn't like the word way that we would often think of. David uses the Hebrew word magal, and this word, it means a, a well-worn path, more like an entrenchment. And so something that you walk on over and over and over and over again, something common, a path often taken. Now, why is this important? I believe it's important because at times we miss healing because we want an adventure with Christ. Reveal something new to me, God. Right? I'm preaching to myself. There's like four amens and the rest of y'all are like, I don't do that. No, 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 right? You do this, right? And this is good. We actually should want this. We should desire to sing a new song to the Lord and to have more revealed about him. I just gave a bunch of examples earlier in the gathering about how God was revealing in a new and in a beautiful way. However, oftentimes, the well-worn path is where we produce righteousness, where we produce Christ-likeness, where we are made more like him. So read your Bible again. Fellowship again. Pray again. Come to the gathering and serve those same kids that seem to not be getting it again. 
and walk in the well-worn paths. You see, sometimes this feels monotonous, and yet this is often how Christ grows us into his image. I mean, peep, if the Son of God had the entire scripture memorized, and if he inspired the words through his spirit, which was himself, and if he is the very word of God, John 1 says, and yet we see Jesus reading the scriptures and learning, why would we think the common paths aren't nurturing for our soul as well? He's often trying to lead us in the common place that there we might find special grace. And we need to realize these paths that he has us on is what often creates healing. I think about it, even as we're raising kids, we do that same thing in our household, For example, when we try to get them to read, we use the same book over and 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 over over again. And so I think about, you know, sometimes Natalie and I, we try to play it smooth and do like two things at once because we like to feel like, oh, we're dope like that, you know? And so we'll read them a book on like potty training and we're trying to both read them a book and also help them to be potty trained. And so there was this one book in particular called Potty, I think is what it's called. And the book we read over and over and over and over and over again, right? I have to go potty. I could go in my diaper. Should I go in my diaper? What does the kitty do? Oh, what does the doggy do? Oh, and then he goes, sits on the potty. He's like, sleeps. Oh, Tinkle, tinkle, toots, yay, undies, okay? Like nine parents were like, yes, that was like a worship song to them, right? (laughs) And then listen, after that repetition with my daughters, they began to learn how to read. And once they learn how to read, they can read several new things. And all of a sudden, they can begin to uh, grow in that knowledge and in that depth. And the repetition actually paved way for learning, which paved way for discovery. God does this with you too, family. When you're in the scripture again and again and again and again, all of a sudden it paves way for the fruit of righteousness. I mean, I told you, I have Psalm 23 memorized, y'all. Like, like, I know this text. I love the Bible. I love the scripture. It's my literal job to have a good handle on this text. And this week, I saw like 80 more things than I've ever seen in like six words. Because repetition often paves way for special grace in our life. The well-worn path of reading the scripture and of church and of prayer, it often produces righteousness and it's one of the main ways that your shepherd is leading you. Are you following him? Are you following him where he is going? And so God is trying to produce righteousness in us and Christ-likeness. And one of the main ways he does this is to morally transform us into the image of his son that it may aid our physical and spiritual and emotional well-beings. Now, we do not believe in moralism as a church, but morality is good. You see, Jesus kept the law to perfection, And we are called to become more like Christ. And so as we follow the scriptures as well, we transform into his image, which allows us to come alive. So this is a good thing. And this is all for his glory, the text ends, or for his namesake is how the text ends there. Now, sometimes when we hear the things like God is for his glory, we feel sort of strange about it. 
You see, God is producing in us fruit and righteousness or leading us by the waters or restoring our souls for his name. There are two things we need to realize here. And they're essentially why God being for his glory is really important that we believe in that and desire that. You see, the reason it's important that we believe that God is for his glory, one, is because he's God. He is worthy of this. And two, is because this is actually beautiful for us. You see, for most of us, we have a problem when we hear about God being for his glory because we don't realize how magnificent God is and how much he loves us. You see, in God's magnificence, to pursue anything else other than his name would be idolatry. God is the greatest being ever, period. That needed like nine more amens there. God is for his glory because he is the most magnificent one. Everything else pales in comparison. And so for God to do something other than for his name would be to intentionally choose something lesser or something broken and therefore choose something that's not as good. That's called idolatry, by the way. It would be making God an idolater. God is for his glory because there is no one higher and we should be for God's glory too because he is holy. That means even if we have to lay down our lives that it might exalt God, he is worthy of that family of God. He is worthy of our sacrifice and of our laying down that he might be exalted. Yet in mystery of mysteries, God's glory in part is your redemption. This is a profound mystery of the faith. You see, when we think about God being for his glory, we don't realize how good this is for us. We often think that God would discard us in pursuit of his glorious plans for himself, and nothing could be further from the truth, family of God. You see, if God was willing to be discarded, to be unrighteous, to be rejected, that we might be brought in, why would he discard you now, family? Why would he remove you when he was willing to have himself removed that you might be brought in? And so why would the paths he's leading you down be for destruction, be for your dismissal or your removal? Wouldn't that make the whole point of the cross and the death of Christ pointless? Wouldn't that spit on the death and the blood of Jesus that we just sang about if he was willing to discard you because he didn't care? Your God cares intimately about you. It is part of his redemption plan. It is part of what gives glory to his name. You see, God is such a great lover of you, Church of Christ. God knows you and cares for you, your shepherd who wants intimacy with you. And if God is your shepherd, and if he would go and make you eat well, and make you go by the still waters that quench your thirst, and if he would take care of your soul and give you righteousness, why would he disdain you for your, his namesake? He wouldn't do that. I mean, hasn't this psalm already communicated the fact that part of God's glory is your care? Or else he wouldn't have identified himself as a shepherd. He would have left himself as a king only. But his name is ironically exalted as he cares for you. And so we should be about God's glory and his name being exalted. And irony, that's the best thing for us. If he were to look after anything else, you would be discarded. And yet here is God looking for his glory. So this verse, I believe, doesn't impact us personally because we don't realize how much God is for us and how we are a part of God's glory. Now, let's not get our theology twisted. God does not need us. 
We do not make God better. We do not provide something that God doesn't already have. But let's not get our theology twisted either and say, therefore, we are unimportant. You see, so close to the heart of God are you that Jesus became sin, became unrighteousness, that we might be the righteousness of God. Glory of glories, family. This is good news. You see, family of God, it is not about you. It's about God. And this is really good news because now you do not have to bear the weight of carrying the world on your shoulders and having everything revolve around you. Your shoulders aren't broad enough to carry that. But family of God, God is for you. Though it is not about you, God is for you. He loves you and he is working redemption into you. This is good news that though you do not have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, God would remove the world itself that he might find you. You see, Satan, when he was tempting Jesus, he offered him all the kingdoms of the earth and Jesus said, that ain't enough. Because his eyes were set forward to the cross and the prize as Steph talked about in her hosting. And what was the prize? It was you, family of God. You are the prize of God. And so it is not about us and yet his glory is your redemption. This is a beautiful mystery of the gospel. And he is trying to invite us in, a shepherd. This is a mystery we must ask our heart to remember over and over and over again. And so some of us, we're walking through a valley with God right now. And once again, we'll we'll get to that more next week. But some of us have been walking into a valley apart from God because we're trying to lead ourselves. And the reason we feel a lack of health is that we've created an unrighteousness rather than pursuing the righteousness of God. And I want you to hear me, family of God, particularly if this is you, if you've realized that you're continually walking in your own desires rather than submitting yourself to the gospel of Christ, though God may allow you like a sheep to go astray in your sin, God will never allow us to lie dead in that sin. You see, our God will find us. Though your heart is prone to wander, God's heart is prone to redemption. God will redeem us. He will restore us. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe that's why God led you into this gathering today. Because today, God's voice might be using this gathering to tell you to come back onto the paths of righteousness. To come back and pursue him once again. It is where the green grass is. It is where the still waters are. Your soul may feel heavy, but I am telling you that our God, he restores souls. It is in his business, y'all. You see, God has a master's and a doctorate and four PhDs in this mug. God is always looking to redeem. And friends of God, he is wanting to restore your soul today. He wants to restore it today. Hear his voice calling that you might find rest. This is true if we've wandered into sin or true if God is leading us through the valley of death that we might go towards green grass though we feel like that leading is leading us through the furnace. You see, sometimes God will indeed make us walk around the desert and entrench in the desert for 40 years that he might lead us to the promised land. I promise you, you wanna be in that desert rather than not pursuing God and going back to Egypt and missing the promised land. Because though this desert may feel weary, I promise you eternal life is before you. And if you submit to God's leadership, if you realize he's a good guide, he is a good leader, he leads us into paths of righteousness, then we can endure and persevere and we can come back to him when we are in sin. And family of God, we find the reality of all of these truths in verse three, most fully and perfectly in our precious shepherd Jesus 
You see, Jesus, he is the true and better shepherd. He is the shepherd king who leads the way by serving. He becomes the path of righteousness by becoming sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And God calls us to walk in this righteousness now and to highlight his glorious name in the process. You see, when we choose God, we actually make much of God's name. And our job as Christians is to be ambassadors, to glorify the name of God. But here's the crazy thing about this, y'all. Though we are called to represent God in obedience for his namesake, for his glory, for his honor, for his praise, we often misrepresent it and we end up in false paths. So in comes Jesus. And in deep irony, in a very real sense, Jesus comes down and actually misrepresented us. You see, Jesus, though he be, was God, became man. And as a man, Jesus lived in perfection. There was not a single human throughout all of history who was even near perfection. And so though we are meant to represent God, we fail over and over and over again. And in comes Jesus who becomes a man that though being God and his very nature stripped that aside and became flesh, and as he became flesh, he misrepresented you because he lived his life to perfection that none of us do that, that if we believe in God, we receive the righteousness of God as if we ourselves lived in that perfection. You see, none of us can live like that, and yet in comes Jesus, the one who substitutes himself for us. He ends up walking in paths of righteousness for the glory of God and for the glory of God's name, but also that you and I might be redeemed so that now when God looks at you, he no longer sees the broken you, he sees himself. Our God sees himself. This is the beauty of the gospel. He is ready to restore. It's not about us getting it right. He got it right for us. And now as we love Jesus, we get to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we get to showcase the glory of God to others. Bless the Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus. Family, healing comes from being on this path. It's a well-worn path. It's a path that we traverse down, for most of us, like the next 50 years of our life. But as we do it over and over and over again, we can look to Jesus who chose obedience over and over and over again. And if you are on this path of righteousness, you get to pursue the righteousness that was won by you by our shepherd. You see, in this is healing and this is the life, and this is the path to the kingdom for eternity. And so would you trust your shepherd? Would you look to him over and over and over again? And would we then present that shepherd to each other for the glory of his name? I thank you, family of God, for letting me be one of your earthly shepherds. And I pray that each of us, as we honor each other, would point to the glory of God for the sake of his name, and the redemption of our souls and the souls of others. Amen. Yeah, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray. Man, Jesus, I know the reality in a room this size that some of us came in feeling unworthy. And I don't think it's a mistake that Anthony led us in the first set of worship as he did, though we didn't talk this week because I was out of town. 
and he led us to confess our sin and to realize our brokenness and to proclaim that you, God, are good. You forgive us if we but come to you. I mean, righteousness is not about it, us getting it right. It's by believing that you got it right for us. And so Jesus, I pray that you would give us this righteousness. God, I pray for those, my brothers and sisters in this room who need to confess their sin before you. I pray they would not try to lead themselves down righteousness today, but that today they would lead themselves to you and allow you to lead them and to confess their sin knowing that you are a good guide. God, I confess my sin. How I so often wanna lead myself and I always lead myself off of cliffs. But you are good and you restore. I thank you for that, Jesus. And so God, I pray for some people to come and submit their lives to you for the first time today. That they would become Christians because they want to follow you. And God, I pray for those of us who have proclaimed your goodness, who are unashamed to say we are Christians. We love it. We know that we do not have what it takes, but our God, he has what it takes for us and we come to him. Jesus, would we come to you again? Would we be restored and renewed and healed and then present you to others? Spirit of God, would you give us this grace? Would you allow us to walk down paths of righteousness for your namesake? Jesus, even as we end with the next couple of songs, I pray that they would be worship to you that we would command our hearts to believe these truths, whether they're believing your promises when it's hard for us to do or believing that you restore our brokenness, that we feel like we gotta have it all together or even just desiring to have a little bit of passion for you again. I pray that you would be leading us and that we would submit ourselves to you, our great leader. We pray this in your very beautiful name, amen.